Alrighty. Well, uh, tonight I want to do something a little bit different. Um, I am going to move this leprechaun because that would be weird to have him hanging there the whole time. So, Jonathan, he has to stay there the whole night. Um, no, uh, what I want to do tonight is something a little bit different. Um, you know, the, the Scriptures tell us, Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke, spoke the Word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Now, one of the things that we're supposed to do as Christians is we're supposed to have living examples. And I think that verse also gives us license to have uh, dead examples. People who have lived the Christian life, were faithful to the end, and are now with the Lord. And we can look at them as an example. And so, tonight I want to do a little bit of like a, like a lecture sermon, kind of. I've got a PowerPoint that I'm going to kind of scroll up here. I want to do a little bit of a biography. And not just a straight up biography. I want to do a biography with lessons. And because it is... St. Patrick's Day, I just figured, why don't we talk about this mysterious figure that we call Patrick every year? So I'm going to have to keep this PowerPoint going. There we go. Did that work? Yeah, there he is. Look at that guy, Patrick of Ireland. And so tonight what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about somebody who has been a Christian or who was with the Lord and has been with the Lord for quite some time now. Somebody who was a Christian hundreds of years before we were born. Um, you know, it is interesting as people in the, in the current times, we usually look down on the past. And that's because the past, we view it as a timeline. Um, the, the past is a line that goes from left to right. And we think, because we, even though we don't maybe believe in evolution, we always think newer is better. Things get better as they go. And so some of us think, well, then what would I need to learn from the past? because things are better now than they've always been, or than they've ever been. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, it is helpful for us to look at people from the past. People in the past did not have the same blind spots. They did not make the same mistakes that people make today. Uh, let me give you a quote. This is from, uh, some of you know, who, who knows who C.S. Lewis is? Who's heard of C.S. Lewis before? Handful of you. So C.S. Lewis explains, you know, you should read, for every new book you read, you should read an old book. Uh, because you don't want to just only be thinking the way that people think in modern times. Here's what he says, the only solution to, you know, to being trapped by modern thinking is to keep the clean sea breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds. And this can be done by reading old books. Not, of course, that there is any magic about the past. People were no more clever then than they are now. They made as many mistakes as we make, but they did not make the same mistakes. They will not flatter us in the errors we already are committing, and their own errors, being now open and palpable, will not endanger us. What he's saying is it's helpful to look to the past so we don't have the echo chamber of the present. He, by the way, I think it's funny in a classic C.S. Lewis way, he ends by saying, to be sure, the books of the future would be just as good a corrective of the books of the past, but unfortunately we cannot get at them yet. So there you go. Say law. Think about that later. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about this person named Patrick, who's often known as St. Patrick. And I don't know, what do you usually think of when you think of St. Patrick's Day? You know, some of you think it's wearing green, which a lot of you are rocking the green, which is good. You think of leprechauns and rainbows and pots of gold and shamrocks and shamrock shakes and lucky charms and all the stuff that goes with it. Irish, did anyone have any Irish food this week in honor of it? Like potatoes, coal cannon, Kerrygold. Don't eat Kerrygold straight up, put it on something else. Shepherd's pie, corned beef, cabbage. Uh, I know most of the world today is out partying tonight, living up, because that's what you're supposed to do on St. Patrick's Day. But none of these have anything to do with the actual person named Patrick. And what we do know is he actually was a historical person. He was born around the year 390, uh, lived for about 60 years. And tonight I want to look at three different parts of his life, not just for facts, but for lessons that we can learn as well. So three things we'll look at. We'll look at his life. We'll, we'll understand his his, uh, a little bit of his biography. We'll learn about his writings because we have two things that he wrote that we still have today and we're very confident he wrote them. And then finally, we'll look at his example. We'll consider what are some things we can learn from someone who's faithfully lived and died as a Christian in the past. And I think this will be helpful for us. So number one, let's start with this. Let's think about Patrick's life together. Patrick's life. Now there's, there's very little that we can find historically. Like I said, he wrote two books. You could tonight, I could give you the link 
Download the PDF of all his writings and you could read it in 45 minutes. That's all it would take for you to learn. There's enough there to learn a ton, but there's only two things. We don't know anything about the sermons he preached. We don't know about his hobbies, his family. Uh, we, we get very little detail compared to other historical figures. And the funny thing is the result has been that people have then exaggerated the details regarding this person named St. Patrick. For example, how many of you know the, the reason, the, myth, the mythical belief as to why there's no snakes in Ireland? Does anybody know this? It's because Patrick killed them all. That's what they say. He brought them all up onto Mount Patrick or Craug, I don't know what the Irish word is, and, and he killed all of them up there. That's just not true. It's not a true. So there's another story, another myth about him is that when he was a baby, this blind priest got him to make the shape of a cross with his hands. And when Patrick made the shape of a cross, a well sprouted from the ground there and cured the priest of his blindness at the same time. And also allegedly cured the priest of his illiteracy because he was able to read and read the rite of baptism. So you see, legends like this would pop up like that. So another myth about Patrick is Patrick was able to turn butter into honey. I don't know why that became a myth. I don't know what sort of like desirable talent that is. Maybe the Irish just have tons of butter and not as much honey, and so that was cool. But these are the, the stories about him. Now here's the reality. None of those are, are true about Patrick. Uh, here's what we do know. We do know that Patrick of Ireland, you ready for this? Is not even Irish. He's British. He, to be more specific, he's Romano-British, Roman-British. He's not Irish at all. So just, you know, he probably looked nothing like that. Very few people have that color orange of facial hair, by the way, either. So, say la. So, you got to think about him. So, he is, he's living in, uh, he's part of the Roman Empire. Uh, I, let, me, let me throw a little map up here. My, my phone keeps doing this. Here we go. So, he's part of the Roman Empire. got a map here. So, Patrick lives at a time when Rome is beginning to decline, but the fall of Rome hasn't happened. And so where he's living is, if you look in the middle, you see the yellow boat of Italy, you see where Rome is, that's the center of the empire. He's up in Britannia, where England is today. He's probably on the west coast of it, which is, we'll explain why. And so it's a Roman culture. He spoke Latin, or was able to speak some Latin. Uh, people would have worn togas. There was wealthy estates where he was. He, he grew up in a, in a nicer area. We also learn that his father was a deacon, which means he would have been sort of like, uh, in those days, it's, he's kind of a church leader, but also kind of like on the city council. Um, and his dad was a priest. So Patrick would have grown up religious background with a little bit of wealth as well. Um, but, but think like he's upper class, like on the outskirts. That's where he's, he's, he's not in the center of where all the action's happening. I mean, he's like at the end of the earth, which we'll see later he thinks of it that way. But he's in the nice spot of it. So the way I think about it is like, I grew up in this glorious city called Murrieta. Who has heard of Murrieta before? Yeah, Anthony, you're also from it's, it's the gem of the valley. Uh, this is what we called ourselves. And, and if you lived in Murrieta, you definitely, I mean, Anthony, you know, the best side of Murrieta is the west side of Murrieta. That's, that's where you want to, you want to live up on the hill. And it's funny, you could be in the upper class of Murrieta as I was. No, you could be there and, but you're still from Murrieta. Does that make sense? So he's kind of like, he's upper class Romano-British, but he's still like out in the boondocks a little bit. Are we all cool with that? Does that make sense? So he lived well for his area where he's at. That's where he's from. He's British. Uh, that's where he's growing up. And here's what he says. It's interesting. He says as much that at, growing up his whole life, he will say, I did not know the true God. I mean, that's an important thing for us to think about. His dad and his grandpa both were in religious leadership. He said, I was not a Christian. I did not follow the Lord. I, I, did not know who, I did not really know who God is. I did not really have a sincere heart. It's a reminder for us that you know, none of us have ever been saved by lineage. Uh, none of us have ever been saved because of what our parents were. We all have to make our own decision to follow Christ. And that was true for Patrick as well. And so how he gets saved is at the age of 16, he is kidnapped. That they're on the west coast of, of Britain, and Irish pirates came over and raided their village and killed a bunch of people and took a bunch of other people prisoner. And Patrick was taken as a prisoner back to Ireland to work as a slave. 
So here's what he writes. He says this about himself. He says, I was taken prisoner. I was about 16 at the time. At that time, I did not know the true God. I was taken into captivity in Ireland along with thousands of others. We deserved this because we had gone away from God and did not keep His commandments. We would not listen to our priests who advised us about how we could be saved. The Lord brought His strong anger upon us and scattered as among us as among many nations, even to the ends of the earth. <coughs> Excuse me. He was 16 and he now lives in a strange land working as a slave farmer. He worked as a shepherd. He, over, he saw animals. I mean, this is brutal, right? This is dangerous. We'll read later about the Irish people. Well, we think about them as a good cheery bunch today. But these were, were not the kind of people you wanted to hang around with. This was dangerous. But... I'm reminded that sometimes what we need in order for us to understand where we're at is to go through some rough spots in life. Sometimes what the Lord does is He allows us to go through difficulty to help us to see the reality of where we stand. Here's what he wrote. And by the way, you don't need to jot any of these down. If some of you want the PowerPoint after, I'd be happy to email that to you. I don't want anyone like furiously writing these quotes or anything. He says this, he says, it was among foreigners that it was seen how little I was. It was there the Lord opened up my awareness of my lack of faith. Even though it came about late, I recognized my failings. The Lord did something like this to help Patrick see his true state. Some of you, the same thing has happened in your life. God has allowed difficult things to happen to you so you'd see the reality of sin and the need to really follow Christ. Another point he writes, So I turned with all my heart to the Lord my God. And He looked down on my lowliness and had mercy on my youthful ignorance. He guarded me before I knew Him. And before I came to wisdom and could distinguish between good and evil, He protected me and consoled me as a father does his own son. How interesting that is. Uh, I'm reminded of Genesis 50-20. Some of you know that, the Joseph story at the end. Joseph says, God meant this, or sorry, you meant this for evil, but God meant, He intended. The same way you intended, He intended, but for good. And that's how Patrick came to know Christ. He was a slave for six years. And he talks all about how during those six years once saved, he prays. He said, I would pray something like a hundred times a day. I would pray constantly. And he has an interesting story of how he finally gets back home. Some, some pirates basically decided to take him back over. At first they tell him no. He prays. They send him back. And, and you might think, alright, sweet. This country enslaved me. I'm never coming back again. But that's not what happened with Patrick. Here's what he writes. Uh, this is upon his return. He says, a few, year, a few years later, I was again with my parents in Britain. They welcomed me as a son, and they pleaded with me that, after all the many tribulations I had undergone, I should never leave them again. Yeah, you think, right? Like, hey son, we'd really prefer you not leave anymore after that. But anyway, he says, it was while I was there that I saw, in a vision in the night, a man whose name was Victoricus, coming as if it were from Ireland with so many letters they could not be counted. And he gave me one of these, and I, began, and I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish people. Let's see, are we still on this one here? Let's keep going here. Whoop, there we go. The voice of the Irish people. Uh, Let's see. While I, was reading out, while I was reading out the beginning of the letter, I thought I heard at that moment the voice of those who were beside the wood of Vauclot. Again, historically, people don't know where that is, but it's a place near the Western Sea. They called out, as it were, with one voice, We beg you, holy boy, to come and walk again among us. This touched my heart deeply, and I could not read any for- further. I woke up then. Patrick starts having this desire to go back and preach the Gospel to the people who kidnapped him. He has this, this, what he claims is this vision from the Lord. He says, I want to go back. So again, imagine the desire. You have been kidnapped by a godless pagan society. And his response is to then be willing to go back and to preach to those people. Now you need to think about this. This is strange for a couple of reasons. One, this is not a time like that missions were popular. So there, there is something, it's weird to say, it, there is something trendy about missions in our society. Like we do short-term missions trips. It's cool to do missions. Like we celebrate that. That's a good thing. That is not something that was popular back then. That was not something that people typically did. Further, the Irish people were, were a gnarly group of people. Uh, here's what he writes about them. He says, Never before did they know of God except to serve idols and unclean things. It was a Celtic religion. They were polytheistic. That means they had many gods. They had worshipped the sun god, the river god, the god of the trees. 
uh, local tribes uh, would have sort of local kings, and they would have these people known as the Druids that sort of function as like uh, dream seers, people who would speak poetry of truth. They, they were like your local shaman. Part of the religion was human sacrifice. So even as far back as 1984, uh, they found some human remains in Northern Ireland as a sort of reminder of the human sacrifice uh, that would occur during that time. Patrick himself, when he was in Ireland, said, daily I expected murder, fraud, or captivity. Like, th this was a dangerous spot to be. But what made Patrick's zeal so remarkable is he felt obligated to go. He, he writes this. He goes, I could wish to leave them to go to Britain. I would willingly do this and am prepared for this, as if to visit my home country and my parents. Not only that, but I would like to go to Gaul to visit the brothers and to see the faces of the saints of my Lord. Uh, that was uh, on, in, on the mainland Europe, France. God knows what I would dearly like to do. But I am bound in the Spirit who assures me that if I were to do this, I would be held guilty. And I fear also to lose the work which I began. Not so much I as Christ the Lord who told me to come here to be with these people for the rest of my life. Again, he writes this, speaking of his own testimony. Surely it was not without God or simply out of human motives that I came to Ireland. Who was it who drove me to it? I am so bound by the Spirit that I no longer see my own kindred. Is it just for myself, from myself that comes the holy mercy and how I act towards the people who at one time took me captive and slaughtered the men and women servants in my father's home? In my human nature, I was born free in that I was born of decurian father as his father was a deacon. But I sold out my noble state for the sake of others. And I am not ashamed of that, nor do I repent of it. Now in Christ, I am a slave of a foreign people for the sake of indescribable glory of eternal life which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It reminds me of Romans 1 when Paul says he's under obligation to, 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 Romans, or to Greeks and barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also are in Rome. It's an amazing zeal. This is someone who's convinced I need to spread the gospel to those who are my enemies, to those who do not know Jesus Christ. And so he spends about 10 to 15 years uh, getting ready for that trip. Uh, he goes back to Ireland about 10 again. Uh, the dates are a little fuzzy, but about 10 to 15 years later, he gets some sort of training probably in Ireland while he's there. But then he goes back and the ministry is incredibly fruitful. I mean, he claims he has converts by the thousands. And, you know, you might say, well, it's just a claim. They literally have a holiday today called St. Patrick's Day on that island. He had a huge impact while he was there uh, he says this he says i am greatly in debt to god he gave me much great grace that through me many people should be born again in god and brought to full life and also not just that people are getting saved and also that clerics should be ordained everywhere for this people who have lately come to believe and who the lord has taken from the ends of the earth so what's interesting is patrick he, he keeps mentioning that ends of the earth passage because when it talks about in the, in the Scriptures that the Gospel is going to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, he thinks he's, he's in the end times. And in his mind, like, Ireland is the end of the globe. Which is kind of funny for us now. You're like, it's like in the middle of the nice part I would like to travel to one day. But in his mind, like, that's the very end. That's where he wants to go. And he, he thinks that's what he's, he's sharing the Gospel to the very end. Well, what I think is interesting about that quote is it's not only are people getting saved, but clerics is like church leaders. Like, you start seeing churches getting established. This is the Great Commission that we have happening right there in Ireland. Thousands of converts. Even he, he talks about uh, these local kings hated him, and they especially hated him when their children got converted. Like the, the kids of the, the leaders of this pagan society were getting saved. It, he was faithful. The ministry was fruitful. But it was not easy. Here's his, here's his description. I think this is encouragement to us. He says, I bore insults from unbelievers so that I would hear the hatred directed at me for traveling here. I bore many persecutions, even chains, so that I could give up my freeborn state for the sake of others. If I be worthy, I am ready even to give up my life most willingly here. And now for His name. It is there that I wish to spend my life until I die, if the Lord should grant it to me. I love that. I love that because I think today, if serving is hard, we typically back down. 
Serving is something to do if we could fit it in. Now, there's, there's these commands I really have to obey, but the idea of reaching others, I'll do it if it fits my schedule. It, it reminds me of a quote from a, another guy we've talked about a different time named Charles Simeon who lived in the 1800s. Charles Simeon said, My dear brothers, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. And that's exactly what we see modeled here by Patrick. So that's a very short sketch. That's his life. Again, we don't know exactly how he died. We don't know what song was played at his funeral. We don't know how long the slideshow was at his funeral or anything like that. Um, they didn't have that, so that's okay. But that's, so, so that's his life. So let's talk a little bit about his writings. What did he write about? Um, you know, everything that we have by Patrick, like I said, you could read it in about 45 minutes. If you're me, it's because I'm underlining it. Some of you could probably read it in like 25 minutes. I, I, I go slow. Uh, but there's two things we have from him. One of them is called his confessions. Um, and so this is just him giving his testimony. This is sort of like his autobiography, his defense of himself, and just a bit about his life. And he writes to boast in who God is. He writes to say, I'm, I'm going to celebrate the goodness of God, to praise God for His work. Here's how it starts. This is really interesting. He begins the opening sentence, My name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person, and the least of all believers. It's an amazing statement. Here's who I am. I'm a sinner, a simpleton, and the least of the saints. He writes this. You could read it later to, to praise God for His work. He says, This is why I cannot be silent nor would it be good to do so, about such great blessings and such a gift that the Lord so kindly bestowed in the land of my captivity. Again, he's seeing his captivity as a good thing that God has given him. This is how we can repay such blessings. When our lives change and we come to know God, to praise and bear witness to His great wonders before every nation under heaven. I have to share because it's only the right thing to do. If the Lord has done this much for me, it would be wrong for me not to speak of all the goodness He's shown me. So that's his first one. His, his second writing is this... Uh, I don't think I have it up there. Do I have it up there? Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, the second writing is this thing called the letter to Caroticus. And it's actually the letter to the soldiers of Caroticus. So this again, historically, we're not totally sure what happened here. There seems to be this Roman commander, this Roman general who has a group of troops. His name is Caroticus. His soldiers go into Ireland and ransack a village. Kill a bunch of people. Take a bunch of the women captive. It's a bad scene. In this letter, Patrick writes to them basically to say, hey, these were Christians that Jesus bought with His own blood. You need to release them or the Lord will have vengeance. He basically says, you have wronged God by doing this and you need to repent or God will pay you back. It's like a strong but biting letter. But you also see it, Patrick's view of eternity comes out of it as well. You, you'd read that. It'd be an interesting read. Anyway, here's what you learn from these two writings. There's two things you start learning from Patrick that come up again and again and again. First of all, Patrick is uneducated. And I don't mean that like slanderously. I don't mean like I read him like, this guy is stupid. No, he says again and again, I am not the smartest of the bunch. I am not an educated person. He says, my name is Patrick. I am a sinner a simple country person. It's his own words. He says, I, I'm not a, a fancy person. I'm not eloquent in my speech. At another time, he says, so I want to give thanks to God without ceasing. He frequently forgave my lack of wisdom and my negligence. I myself can testify since I am an unlearned country person. You might think, okay, he's sandbagging. Right? Some of you, you do this sometimes. You, you, you say like, oh, I'm not really that good at something. And people go like, what are you talking about? You're really good at that. And you go, oh, thanks guys. You're the, <laughs> you're the best. Right? And you might think that's got to be what Patrick's doing here. But that, that's not at all what he's, what he's doing here. Uh, his Latin is clunky. Now, now who, here is, who here knows Latin? Does anybody know Latin and want to fess up? I do not know Latin. You know Latin. Shout out to you. I don't know Latin at all. I wasn't homeschooled. That's part of why. So anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so, and one author calls him unbookish. Uh, another author says this, Patrick's Latin, time and time again, strikes the reader as inefficient and awkward. On several occasions, he simply fails to convey what he means, and we cannot be sure precisely what he is trying to say. 
I think that's really funny. Um, and people probably say the thing, same things about my writing. But anyway, like, like he does not write very well. And part of that is probably because of where he grew up, like I said, in you know, the bougie boonies. But he also, like 16 would have been the time he really would have gotten trained. But while other young men are getting trained to write well and speak well, he is a slave in Ireland, right? So that, that's part of it as well. I think he says that. Do I have this quote here? How do I go back? Can I go back? No? Uh-oh. Wait, I did. Did I get the right one? I have no idea where I am in this right now. Oh my goodness, I'm so far ahead. Stephanie, am I able to go back? Mm. Do the one that says, my name is Patrick, I'm a sinner and a simple country person. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. I was already there. Okay, let's leave it there. All right. I'm so glad this is part of the recording. Um, good thing we already edited out my singing. Um, just kidding. Um, all right, so he says it again and again. Now, here's what he does say. He's not discouraged by this fact. Like, he, he actually sees it as something to boast in and to boast in God about. So he says this. He, uh, he says, if I had been given the same chance as other people, again, that's like I was in captivity instead of at school, if I'd been given the same chance, I would not be silent, whatever the reward. If I seem to be too forward with my lack of knowledge and even slower with my tongue, still it is re- written, stammering tongues will quickly learn to speak peace. He, he, he says, the Lord still uses me anyway. And he sees it an opportunity to boast in God's greatness and not his own eloquence. I, I love that. I think that's good. I think that's a good reminder that um, any good skill that we have in ministry does come from the Lord. It's a good reminder that unlearnedness, not being educated, some of you, you're looking at your life going like, man, I, I became a Christian later in life. I didn't grow up learning all about church and it was in my 20s or maybe my 30s I got saved. How can I be useful? People know so much more Bible than I do. Well, lack of education didn't stop Patrick. He was just faithful and thankful to the Lord and he owned it and he saw it as a reason to boast in Christ. And I think that's true for us as well. Education doesn't guarantee faithful ministry anyway. So if you're going like, I'm new to this, I'm still learning, keep learning, but also love the Lord and serve faithfully. Here's the other thing we learn about Patrick from his reading. He is relentlessly biblical. He's relentlessly biblical. So here's how you make up for a lack of education. You just be a person of the Scripture. You know and trust your Bible. So what they do notice, if you look and read his stuff, he's quoting Scripture and referencing Scripture over and over and over again. One author who does speak Latin uh, calls him unius libri. He's a man of one book. Uh, Everywhere you look, he's got Scripture. And there's a whole lot of Bible in what he has to say. And what I would say to counterbalance kind of the, if you have a lack of education, here's what you need to be useful. Devote yourself to this book. Know this by if you want to be useful at church, you're saying, Man, I want to learn, I, I want to serve at church, I want to find a way to instruct people and help people. Know your Bible. Know your Bible inside and out. Uh, I was so thankful uh, that at the church where I previously served, the elder that served with me uh, never went to seminary, uh, never went to buy his full time job was he worked in HR. Anyone else here work in HR? Yeah, thank goodness, or we'd all get written up right now. No, I'm just kidding. But, which I'd also make fun of him for. Uh, he, he, like, but you know what? Matt just studied the Bible. And he just knew his Bible because he spent so much time in it. And that's why people would go to him for stuff, because he knew his word. The same could be true for us as well. The way we could serve people is studying God's word. Psalm, what does Psalm 19.7 say? It says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Or Psalm 119.99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. That was, by the way, I, I just jumped through those. That was Psalm 19.7, and then Psalm 119, verse 99. We need to know our Bibles better. Uh, here's the last thing you can know about Patrick, is Patrick knew his doctrine. He knew his doctrine. So just because he was simple, doesn't mean he wasn't deep. He wrestles with Scripture. You see him, he has, a, he has a view of the end times. He sees his ministry as in light of the end times, that this world isn't going to last forever. But what he's most popularly known for is he's the one who introduced the doctrine of the Trinity to the people of Ireland. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have heard Patrick has taught the people? Okay, how many of you heard St. Patrick pulled out the clover with the three leaves and then explained the Trinity is like this clover? Who's heard that, really? Anyone heard that before? 
So I'm going to burst some bubbles. That probably didn't happen. I'm sorry. I know some people are leaving now as a result. I, I get it. I understand. No, forgive me, brother. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, that did not happen. Um, in fact, you'll see with the Doctrine of Trinity, the, the clover's probably not even the, the most uh, appropriate way to describe it. But what you do have is early on in his confession, he has this big, fat paragraph. And I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, bear with me, but I want you to see what this guy talks about right at the beginning in the midst of this biography. So here's what he says. He says, I'll just read it up here so I can make sure I hit the right point. He says, this is because there is no other God, nor will there ever be, nor was there ever, except God the Father. He is the one who is not begotten, the one without a beginning, the one from whom all beginnings come, the one who holds all things in being. This is our teaching. And His Son, Jesus Christ, whom we testify, has always been, since before the beginning of this age, with the Father in a spiritual way. He was begotten in an indescribable way before every beginning. Everything we can see and everything beyond our sight was made through Him. He became a human being and, having overcome death, was welcomed to the heavens, to the Father. Uh, the Father gave Him all power over every being, both heavenly and earthly and beneath the earth. Let every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, in whom we believe and whom we await to come back to us in the near future, is Lord our God. He is judge of the living and of the dead. He rewards every person according to their deeds. He has generously poured on us the Holy Spirit, the gift and promise of immortality, who makes believers and those who listen to be children of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is the one we acknowledge and adore, one God in a trinity of the sacred name. Okay, that's robust right there. Okay, so for a country farmer, uh, he knows a lot of stuff. He's saying a lot of things. Now, we need to understand what's going on here. I want to unpack this a little bit. Take your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter, because we have to turn to our own Bibles if I'm going to call it a, a sermon slash lecture. So let's go to John chapter 1. You need to understand why is it important and why is it significant that Patrick brings this up. Well, it tells us a little bit about this time and a little bit of what's happening in the world at this time as Patrick is talking. Because in the 4th century... There are some problems going on in the 300s. The beginning of the 300s, the beginning of the 4th century, there are people, namely a man named Arius, who's also British, going around and saying things like, there was a time when the sun did not exist. He's not talking about the S-U-N sun. Arius is saying things like the S-O-N, Jesus, did not exist. Or, he says that Jesus came out of nothing, was created out of nothing. And this was a big problem for people because they said, that's wrong. That's not at all what we believed about Jesus for 300 years. That's not at all what has been taught about Jesus from the apostles and passed down through the faith. And so what you get is something that sometimes people get weirded out about is in the 300s, there is this thing called the Council of Nicaea. It was a council that happened in a city called Nicaea, hence the name. Uh, very, very uh, creative there. And, and sometimes when people hear about creeds and stuff, they're like, ah, oh, ancient history. Which is funny because that is true. It is ancient history. But it's also important because the reason why creeds were invented was to defend heresy. Or defend against heresy. So what, these things didn't happen because guys were bored and like, we need something to do. Why don't we write some sentences down? No, they, they have these things just like there's error being spread. We need to make sure we understand what we believe. And one of the hot button issues of the century that Patrick lived in was, was Jesus God? Was he the son of God? And if he is the son of God, what does that actually mean? And so at Nicaea, they say some things about who Jesus was. They fight against this bad man named Eris, not physically, but, but they, they debate against him. They say, this is what's true. And what you have here from Patrick is an affirmation of Nicaea. He, he ends up believing exactly what these guys uh, wrote down uh, almost 90, 80 years earlier. It's important because the debate didn't end just because the council was made there. So here's when you understand. Patrick has an intricate understanding of the Trinity, a biblical understanding of the Trinity, and a right understanding of who Jesus is. Let me just, I'm just going to pull apart four phrases here just so we can understand and see where they are in our Bibles. Here's the first one. It's a, he said, Jesus Christ... Uh, whom we testify has always been since before the beginning of this age with the Father in a spiritual way. So here's what they're doing. They're trying to protect 
that Jesus is the true God, that he is the God, God of very gods, and that though he is distinct from the Father, he's equal in glory with the Father. Let's hang here. They're trying to show that Jesus isn't lesser, but Jesus is the same but distinct from the Father. So let me show you where this is coming from. John 1.1. What do you have in your Bible? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there you go. You have in the beginning. That's a reference to allusion to, uh, allusion to Genesis 1. In eternity past, you see Jesus. He exists from eternity past. And He's with God the Father, so distinct, and He is God the Father, co-equal Him being God of very gods. Uh, notice if you would, uh, I have it on the next slide here, John 17. John 17, 5 says, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. And that's an amazing prayer. Jesus saying, God, Father, I had glory with You in eternity past. And restore to Me the glory I had with You prior to taking on a human body. That's the first thing he, he points out. Patrick affirms this. Jesus co-equal with the Father. Here's the next thing. He says that Jesus was begotten in an indescribable way before every beginning. It's an interesting sentence. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. This is, uh, those of you that are like, man, I kind of wanted something deeper than biography. Here you go. This is what you're getting at tonight. John 5 is, is, is a great text, but it's a text that we need to wrestle with and figure out. So again, He was begotten in an, in an indescribable way before every beginning. That's before eternity passed, Jesus was begotten. So let me ask you all a question real quick. Participate with me. How many of you have heard that before? Jesus, the only begotten Son. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever tried to think, what does begotten mean? Right? Like, what does that actually mean? Because when, when you read genealogies, you read like, you know, Adam begot Seth, which means he had a, a baby named Seth. And so, is Jesus begotten by God the Father? Is he the, the offspring of God the Father? That's what some of these false teachers were saying. But, but here's what he says, this indescribable way that he was begotten. Look at John chapter 5 in your Bible, verse 26. It says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Okay, so, so let's, let's let our minds bend a little here. The Father has life in Himself. He's self-existent. He needs nothing else. Jesus, or sorry, God the Father needs nothing to exist. That's what it means to have life in Himself. That also be an eternal thing. In the same way, Jesus also has life in Himself. The Son. He, he is eternal. He doesn't need anything else to exist. He exists on His own accord. But the Son has life in Himself because the Father has granted that to Him. Eternally. Because to have life in yourself means you don't have a beginning. And Jesus is the same yesterday forever. So there's somewhere in your mind you've got to go, okay, the Father is self-existent, the Son is self-existent, but the Son is self-existent because the Father has granted it to Him. And that's what I mean by begotten. And you're going, well, what do we do with that? And you know what the answer is? You believe the Scriptures. And you don't say less than what the Bible says. And you don't push it to say more than what the Bible says. You just say, that's what makes the Father the Father and that's what makes the Son the Son. The Son is the Son, co-equal, just as God as God the Father, God of very gods, but His self-existence somehow, in a way that is indescribable, mysterious, comes from the Father. We don't turn the Son into less the Father. We don't make the Son always submit to the Father. We just rest in that truth. Everyone good with that? Everyone's minds hurt a little bit. Mine does, even as I'm talking about it. It's tough stuff, but we believe it because that's what Jesus says about His relationship with the Father. Let's see what the next thing He says. He says about Jesus, everything we can see and everything beyond our sight was made through Him. All right, so Jesus is the Creator of all things. There's nothing that existed without Jesus. Colossians 1.16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. That's amazing. That's more than just, here's God, great God, and here's Jesus, His super awesome helper, the best of His helpers. No, this is Jesus who made the universe, who's also co-equal with God. 
And finally, take your Bible. Let's go to Matthew 28. The one last sentence I'll, I'll pick apart here. Patrick wrote, This is the one we acknowledge and adore. One God in a trinity of the sacred name. And sometimes when they write stuff, it, it's hard to figure out, like, what are they talking about? What, what scriptures do they have in mind as they write this? But one of the things that we've talked about on Wednesday morning, for those of, the, for those of you guys who've shown up on Wednesdays and we've, we've talked theology uh, on the coffee shop there, uh, I think he's got Matthew 28 in mind here. So Matthew 28, verse 19, if you've ever needed like a, hey, give me like a quick verse that shows like one God, three persons, I think Matthew 28, 19 is a great verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Singular name, three persons. That's what Patrick believed. He believes what we believe about who God is. Now, uh, you might be asking, why does this matter? this This is just a bunch of jargon and we're arguing about nuance. Well, this matters, guys, because this is who God is. Like, sometimes we think of the Trinity as this weird like appendage that exists on God and we're like, uh, I just don't really want to talk about his little trinity-ness. If we could cover that up and I'll look at the rest of who God is. But, but the trinity is who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it affects all of his actions. Salvation ordained by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, your sanctification comes according to the, the good pleasure of God, through Jesus who gifts, and through the work of the Spirit in your life. It's, it's, he's Trinitarian throughout. You, you cannot separate uh, the three from the one nor the one from the three. Further, it's really good news that we have a God who is Trinity. And here's why. Because in 1 John 4.8, when it says God is love, when it says that, that God not just has love, but is love, it's part of His nature, it's what He's always done. Okay. Can you say that a God is eternally loving if there was a time that that God did not have an object for their affections. If, if there was a God that existed in eternity past in solitary confinement, perfectly content in Himself, well, then how can you say that that God by nature loves? But if you have a God who in eternity has lived in community, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit content within themselves, that's a God who really does love, whose nature is to love, who we then being saved are adopted into that love and not, uh, what are we called again? Sons of God. We're brought in as children adopted through the Son. It's weighty stuff, but it's awesome stuff. You, are, you should be very happy that you have a God who is Trinity. But by the way, it didn't just matter to us. This also matters to Patrick. I, I love this. He, he says, in the knowledge of this faith in the Trinity and without letting the dangers prevent it, it is right to make known the gift of God and His eternal consolation. Isn't that interesting? Like, he links his obligation to share the gospel with his knowledge of that, the fact that God is triune. These pagan, they worship thousands of gods, but let me introduce them to the one God who exists in Trinity. There we go. That's Patrick. Now, let's, let's come back up for air. I'm going to take a deep breath. We dove deep there, but you all survived. You did it. And if you've got more questions about that, you're always welcome to ask. By the way, uh, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to be starting in the Bible class here, a, a four-week class on prayer. And the fourth one, I'll be talking about prayer and the Trinity. What am I supposed to do? Do I pray to each one equally? Will one get jealous if I don't pray to him as much as the other two? Stay tuned. Uh, We'll see you there for Bible class. Anyway, let's look at number three. We'll wrap this up quickly. Patrick's example. What are things to take away? And you could probably already think of some of those down. But as we look at this person who existed in history, this person who had trust in Jesus and had a, a commitment to Christ, what are things that we learn? What are lessons we learn? I've got four of them. Four of them. Here we are. Number one is this. Be humble. Be humble. Let, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Timothy. Take our Bibles go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Patrick again and again will say things like, I am not worthy of this. I didn't deserve it. He talks about his education. He talks about his sin as reasons why he should not have not only been saved, but why he had no right to be a servant of the Lord, to be used by the Lord the way the Lord used him. He says, for him, I perform the work of an ambassador despite my less than noble condition. However, God is not influenced by such personal situations and he chose me for this task that I would be one servant of his very least important servants. 
He again says, So I shall make a return for him of all that he has given to me, but what can I say or what can I promise to my Lord? There is nothing I have that is not a gift to me. It's amazing. He continues throughout his life to view himself rightly, to view himself as low. And I think we, if, if we are in Christ, our view of ourselves in time does not go up. I mean, I think we know this. As Christians, the longer we walk with Christ, the view of ourselves, if we're, if we're looking at things rightly, should go down. Uh, let's look at what Paul said. He says, verse, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Christian, I would just ask you this. In your own life, do you view yourself as the chief of sinners? Do you still see your sin as the worst sin you see in your life? Like, I could see the failings of others. I could see the failings of people on TV. I could see the failings of people I work with. I only see their external failings. I know my own heart. I know how unworthy I am. Are you someone who still sees yourself in that way? My guess is if you're not involved in serving, if you don't see yourself growing, it's probably because you think you've already arrived or that you deserve better than you deserve. Maybe even just tonight can I ask the question, we're talking so much about the Gospel. Are you someone who's ever seen yourself in this way? I mean, I'm reminded of Jesus' words. Uh, talks about a, a Pharisee and a tax collector who go into the temple. And one man goes up and boasts of all the good things that he has done before God. And another man, all he could do is cry out for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man goes home forgiven. Friend, if you're here tonight and you've never owned the fact that you don't just sin, but that you are categorically before God a sinner, I would encourage you to evaluate your heart. Because God shows mercy to people who cry out for mercy. And potentially tonight, maybe in this room, there are some who their rebellion against God has looked like thinking that they are worthy of God's acceptance. That they can themselves earn themselves up to God's status. Don't make that mistake. Jesus came to save sinners. Not to help people, but to rescue them. And the good news is if you recognize your sin, Christ does forgive. I would love to talk to you about that tonight if that's something you have questions about. Or the people sitting at your table, you can ask them as well. What does it really mean to cry out? When did that happen in your life? When did you cry out for mercy because you saw that you were a sinner? Let's look at number two. Here's the second lesson from Patrick. The rest will be a little bit shorter. Number two, know the book. Know your Bible. Hey, if you want to minister to people, you're going to minister to them, not through your experiences, not through your wisdom, not through your insight, not through your Google searches. You're going to minister to them by knowing your Bible. And so, are you reading? Uh, if you're like, man, I'm not really reading a ton, are, are, are you maybe jumping in the Scripture of the day? There's some other reading plans that you could do if you're like, man, I, I want to crank through the whole Bible in a year. Um, do you know doctrine? Uh, is that the first time you've like, man, I've never really figured out the Trinity? Could I explain the Trinity to my kids? Or do I just hope the children's ministry covers that? Uh, you know, one day you get married, you have children, you want to know the words well enough that you could explain it simply. Or maybe even now what you should do, maybe some of you should go serve in children's ministry. So you're put in those positions where kids ask you questions and you go, oh man, I don't really know the answer to that. And so you lie to them. No, don't do that. You go, you tell them, no, I don't know. So let me go look it up and give you the answer later. But, but listen, don't ride the coattails of other people who know the Bible and just think, well, they'll just always be around. Know the Word. And know the Word because knowing the Word is knowing God. Know the book if you want to make an impact. Number three, I, I love this point. Read your past rightly. Read your past rightly. I think most people today would look at what happened to Patrick and, and Patrick's life as a kidnapped slave would become his whole identity. And his whole life would be about how he's a kidnapped slave. 
And people would want him to go around and talk about how I was once kidnapped. And I'm now just going to talk to people about the time that they were kidnapped. And we, we're going to talk together about the bad things and just only identify ourselves according to the bad things that have happened. Now, bad things do happen in our life. That, that's not what identified Patrick, though. He, he could have easily spent the rest of his life moping about six lost years that then ruined his future. Instead, what did he do? He lived his life for Christ. His sufferings he saw as a blessing and he saw the rest of his life, I'm going to use it for the glory of Jesus. May we read our past, read our sufferings rightly as well. And may we, number four, commit to the spread of the Gospel. Commit to the spread of the Gospel. Patrick, Patrick writes, it is right that we should fish well and diligently as the Lord directs and teaches when He says, follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. He Again, He says through the prophets, Behold, I send many fishers and hunters, says God, and other sayings. Therefore, it is very right that we should cast our nets so that a great multitude and crowd will be taken for God. This is a man who was committed to reaching the lost. And we ought to be as well. Uh, how, listen, we have been shown tremendous grace. And any sinner we come across, we know that they can be forgiven. You know how we know that? Because we've been forgiven. And if the Lord has been so kind to us, surely then He could show His mercy to them as well. And so may we have the same kind of commitment. May we, may we even tonight think, who are people I can start praying for and purposely trying to reach for the glory of Christ. I love that the ending here. Why do we do it? We don't do it because it's awesome or it's Instagrammable. We don't even do it to be remembered. Patrick himself says, you know, even at my time, I've had some popularity I don't really like because I'm an uneducated man. He says that we'd see a great multitude and crowd be taken for God. This is about God. This is a God who saves self-righteous people or blind people through slavery. This is a God who has saved you and me. He is, this is the God who's worthy of praise from every group of people, even unto the ends of the world. And may we share the Gospel for His glory so that He might save more sinners. Let me pray. Father, thank You for tonight. Thank You for the opportunity we've had to just look at a faithful saint from the past. And may we, as Hebrews tells us, look at the faithfulness of others and learn to emulate their life. Lord, we're thankful for Your goodness and grace towards us in Jesus. We pray, these things, we pray that we would be bold to share the Gospel that we would view ourselves rightly in light of our sin and the forgiveness You've shown us. Lord, that we might live faithfully unto the end of our days. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.